Hi, I'm Mary Kay Fain, founder of 4W. I'm Sasha White, and I am the co-founder of Flevity.org. And this is Identity Crisis, a new show for gender-critical teens and 20-somethings. On today's show, we're going to be talking about whether or not we consider ourselves feminists and why. But first, we have some news updates to go through. MK is going to go first today. Okay, our first ICYMI in three, two, one, go. Marion Miller, a Scottish feminist, was charged under the Malicious Communications Act for tweets posted back from 2019 to 2020 and can face two years in jail if convicted. She tweeted various things. It's unclear what the specific tweet was that got her in trouble, but mostly related to women's sex-based rights and tweets that differentiate between men and women on the basis of biology. She also tweeted uh, suffragette colors and a ribbon that included a suffragette symbology. She has two autistic twin boys who she feels like are at a specific risk of falling into gender identity ideology. And it's really disturbing that in the UK, which is supposedly a first world country, there is no freedom of speech. You, It's absolutely not a free country. You could be charged for tweets as long as someone online can say that it is a hate crime. So we are definitely going to be looking forward to seeing what happens in this case and really pulling for Marion. Good luck, Marion. We stand with you. Absolutely. We stand with you, Marion. That is insane and ridiculous and terrible once again. And this is why we need free speech. I mean, come on, Scotland. Yep. Come on. Absolutely. All right, Sasha, you're up. What have you got for us today? All right. Are you ready? Count me down. Yes. In three, two, one, go. In case you missed last week's identity crisis episode, male prisoners are being transferred to female prisons in the United States of America, including convicted rapists, which we covered in detail last week. And MK explained from her position at the Women's Liberation Front why this is happening and what you need to know about it. Um, to update everyone on the situation, the Equality Act, the Federal Equality Act is still up and it might potentially pass. It's past the House, it's in the Senate for consideration. And if it's passed, then the policy that is currently in Washington State and California would go nationwide. Abigail Schreier reported on this in the Wall Street Journal on May 31st, and she writes, crazy California laws occasionally go national. Take SB 132, which allows transgender identified male state prison inmates to transfer into women's prisons based on individual preference and absolutely no hormone surgery or time spent living as the opposite sex is required. This is a dire situation for female inmates who have already allegedly suffered sexual abuse at the hands of these males. Please read more on the Wolf website linked below. Thank you, Sasha, for that update. Abby's article in the Wall Street Journal was really groundbreaking. And since I think this is the first time mainstream media is really covering what's happening in women's prisons right now. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, now that this is breaking through what attention we can get for these women. Mm -hmm. As you said last week on our episode, this might be the next big scandal about gender ideology. Okay, our final ICYMI in three, two, one, go. Today was another week to be a feminist on the internet. We had loads of censorship and attacks happening against feminists online, including Heather Mason's crowdfunder was taken down from GoFundMe. She had put up a crowdfunder to help support her activism against putting men in women's prisons like we just talked about in Canada. It's already federal law across the country. There are men all over these women's prisons there. Her GoFundMe was taken down. She's got another fundraiser up, which we should link below. Vanessa Vokey, a woman who's been canceled from basically everything 
online so far was canceled yet again this time from Shopify. She sells t-shirts to say things like I heart JK Rowling and has basically been banned from every online seller. And Feminist Current was hacked this week by men's rights activists who completely defaced the site, taking it down for at least a couple of days at the time of filming. And this all just goes to show that it is impossible to be a feminist online anymore, that there are people, trans rights activists, men's rights activists, same difference, who will try to take you down. It's so creepy. It was so disgusting to see what they did on the Feminist Current website. And they doxed Megan Murphy. They put up her address or they put up an address. I don't know if it was the correct address. And then MK, you were helping. So tell us from the tech side, what can you tell us? Because I know that you obviously are a programmer in case anyone didn't know MK is a programmer and you were, you were helping Megan deal with the situation. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we're filming this on Thursday, and if you're watching this on Monday, then the situation might have changed by now. But as of now, the website is still down as we're recovering backups and importing them to a new site. But basically what happened was uh, this man's rights activist found a vulnerability on her WordPress site and was able to exploit it in order to deface the website by putting in just like really gross anti-feminist and homophobic content. So uh, this is a pretty common sort of exploit that we see on certain types of websites. But unfortunately, because there just isn't really good support for feminist tech online right now, we find that a lot of feminist websites are vulnerable to these sorts of attacks. But the good news is, is that her content is safe. We were able to recover it all and we're in the process of getting her set up with a shiny new site or at least one uh, that is hopefully a little bit less vulnerable to such attacks. So uh, it was it was pretty disturbing. And but also it was uh, not as bad as it could have been. Mm -hmm. We're still in the process of figuring out now what exactly was compromised and where even the vulnerability was. Uh, hopefully by the time you're watching this on Monday, I really think the site will probably be back up online by then and there'll be some more information. So uh, definitely follow Feminist Current. They, they also their Twitter was uh, briefly hacked and the hacker changed their handle so that he was able to steal Feminist Current's handle. And so right now on Twitter, uh, at least as of Thursday, there's still at Feminist Current is owned by the hacker. And so if everyone can please support Feminist Current by going and reporting that account as an impersonation so that Feminist Current can get their proper handle back, that would be great uh, if it's not down by now. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the update, MK. I'm glad that you were able to help and put your expertise to work here. And I, it's just creepy. It's just really creepy. <laughs> Now that you guys are caught up in some of the news from the gender critical world, we are going to delve into the episode. So today we're going to talk about something controversial among our peer group of gender critical women, and that is the label of feminist. And what sort of feminist, if any, are you? Are you a radical feminist? Are you a gender critical feminist? Are you a are Marxist you feminist? Are you feminist? Yes. And, or are you a feminist at all? Are you a womanist? Are you a femaleist? And this is something that we see people all the time debating whether or not they should pick a specific label or if they do pick a label and whether or not it applies to them because like, what, are you uh, totally aligned with this label or not? And Sasha, I know you have some feelings about labels. So yes, I do. where did you land on this? 
Okay, well, I'll just say I'm still in my intellectual arc. You know, I think I definitely foresee myself continuing to develop and change how I identify myself in the future. But right now, I really am just in a mood where I want to reject all labels. I'm label phobic. And, you know, that's the one phobia that I will admit to having. Um, I, I don't want to call myself a feminist anymore. And that's something that we're gonna talk about today and I'll, t I'll share some of my thoughts on that and why and what that means. And um, to start off with, I'll just say, you know, that doesn't mean that I have any less interest because I don't have any less interest in women's issues or women's rights. And I'll also say that this is something I've been thinking about for a long time now, actually for this entire year of 2021. So don't expect to see any big changes in my content, the way I'm talking, because this is just, um, this is not exactly completely new. So just to clarify, why do you hate women now? <laughs> because here's the thing, they're all feminazis and I just can't take it. I just can't take it. <laughs> Did you see that thing? Yeah. I saw your response. I saw your article that you put. MK had an article about what, you know, feminists being called feminazis and this is downplaying the actual war of the Holocaust and it's being used to justify vitriol and even violence towards women. So if that's from 2019, we'll link it below. Yeah, there was some recent thing where some group created this like pro-trans article where they basically just called women feminazis and uh you would think that you know, didn't rush limbaugh die recently i think i remember that like sometime in the middle of covid and like i'm pretty sure rush limbaugh died and yet somehow feminazi lives on through the trans activists of course it does of course it does um yeah. so you're not a feminazi and you don't hate women so that's confusing to people. I know because a lot of times people feel like you have to be in one particular camp. You have to plant your flag. And mm -hmm. I will say that after I got canceled, I became extremely wary of planting my flag in an ideological camp because I saw what it does to not adhere to an ideology that you're supposed to, right? Like in publishing, I was supposed yeah. to adhere to what my boss called a liberal ideology. He just kept telling me, you know, it's a very liberal industry. And so your views just aren't gonna fly. And here I am thinking I'm to the left of liberal at that time, you know, I'm to the left yeah. of liberal, well, this is crazy. Um, so maybe and, let's go over some of the basics. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you don't wanna be called a feminist, but do you believe men and women should have equal rights? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you believe in ending male violence against women? Absolutely. Do you believe men can be women? Hell no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just to be clear, it really sounds like you, your beliefs have not changed. Like you said, the people who follow your content, who appreciate the work that you've done for women's rights, it's really not a matter of whether or not you support women's equality or women's rights or the fight for women's rights globally or the fight to preserve our language. It's really about how you choose to identify. And this is identity exactly. crisis. And so this is the perfect place to be having this discussion. That's exactly right, MK. And, you know, I got this sense that I didn't want to submerge my own identity with a larger movement. Um, and something that we've talked about a lot is, and something that you've articulated very well, 
is this sense of not tying up your identity with something that you have no control over, something that's completely outside of you, and something that could, you know, go some go away that you don't like because you don't have control over it. And um, I also get this sense that I don't want to be a part of an ideology where you have to take every piece of the package. I want to be free. I've always said this. I want to be free to make up my mind on each individual issue and um, and be able to say, you know, I agree with these aspects of feminism, but I, I don't agree with this. And there are some things that I don't agree with that I that I'm critical of within feminism. So, you know, Sasha, what you're saying reminds me of what we've seen some other prominent women in the movement face as far as backlash. People like Megan Murphy, Posey Parker, uh, really anyone, once they call themselves a feminist, if they don't perfectly align with every little bit of ideology, then that does become an avenue to attack them from within the movement. And it does actually seem to contribute to a lot of the infighting of which, you know, I've been very critical of the infighting in the movement. And uh, sometimes I know I fall into this myself because once someone calls themselves a feminist, then anything that they do, which you can frame as not ultimately benefiting women, you can say, well, you're a feminist, so you're supposed to blank. Mm -hmm. And it does give you this sort of like ground with which to criticize everything. It gives you like a, a lens and an angle and um, you know, I'm thinking of a book that came out recently and criticisms of it because it called itself a feminist text. And then you're, if you find anything within it that is not perfectly aligned with your specific brand of feminism, then it's easy to say, well, it's not a feminist text because I don't agree with it, uh, this part of it, because I see a way that this doesn't actually benefit women. And so you're right. Like once you apply a label, it starts to it gives you a way to attack versus if there's no label and there's just an idea, you're forced to actually contend with the idea that's there. Yeah, I think that's that's a brilliant point. And oh, the way that I feel is I want to be an individual in, in as much as I can. I definitely think, you know, no man is an island and you can't really, you're not really independent in this world. Okay, no um, trans woman is an island. <laughs> Um, but um, precisely what you just said, I want to be able to say, I'm Sasha, and this is what I think, and this is what I observe, but please don't judge me under this particular label, because one of the things that I felt when I was canceled was, no matter what I call myself, that doesn't really matter, because people will choose how they'll judge you anyways. So it didn't really matter that I called myself progressive many times. In fact, in hindsight, mm. I feel like that was too defensive. and. Um, and kind of trying to explain myself too much. You know, I never apologized, but I went up there and said, I'm pro-LGBT, I'm progressive, I'm on the left, and I'm not mm -hmm. a right-wing conservative. And then actually some people get mad and go, well, hey, what's wrong with being a right-wing conservative? We're the ones who've been fighting this, and, and you leftists have been pushing this. So do you think there is an appropriate time to call yourself a feminist or to define your ideology? And like, are there certain labels that you feel like you do still cling to? Maybe like beyond feminism, but uh, political ideology labels or labels about your sexuality or labels about like, are, are there other labels that you, you do find value in? That's a good question. And I can't think of one that I do because I, truly am a bit 
turned off of the idea of labeling myself ever since I got canceled. Um, I am a white cisgendered. <laughs> I am a white cisgendered. Yeah, no. Um, I. That's a great question, and I and I feel weird, but saying like, there's not one that I want. There's not one label that I want that I can think of that I want when it comes to what I believe. There are labels that fit me. I'm a woman. I want that label. Don't take that label away from me. I'll get mad, you know, if they try to. I'm Jewish. And so, what's the difference there? Like, just articulate that for because, people. In case yeah, it's not sure. Obvious. Because some because those labels are just the re are just uh, material realities. Like mm -hmm. I'm ethnically Jewish, I'm physically a woman, and but something um, that can't change. Yeah, like, and it doesn't have to do with just, what I believe. It's stuck. It does. Yeah, it's it doesn't have to do right. with what I believe. Which, in case that confuses anyone, I'm not a religious Jew, so that doesn't have to do with my religious beliefs. It's just my blood, and um, I really want just a flexibility and a freedom in what I believe and what I think about. I'm you know, reading lots of different things. I don't want to be um, trapped in a certain box because that can happen a lot of times with ideologies where you sign onto an ideology because you like so much of it or you like the people because I do love the rad femmes and the lesbians as everyone should know by now. And um, then you can actually lose some of your own independent critical thinking when you fall into that. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed that as well, just in my own journey through the, I guess, feminist movement. And I still do definitely consider myself a feminist. I, you know, will proudly wear that label. And I, for the most part, also consider myself a radical feminist, although that one I tend to use a little bit more sparingly because it does come with a little bit more specific expectations, kind of like what mm -hmm. you're saying. And so for me, I have definitely found that when you're in a group and you apply this label to yourself, like, yes, I am part of this group, then all of those expectations are there. And it does kind of either force you into a box or it forces you to confront the ways in which you're like stepping outside the box. Mm -hmm. And that is when you get canceled often is when you step outside the box. Mm -hmm. um, although I will say, I do think that I've seen some women do it in a way that I really appreciate. And so, you know, um, Megan Murphy is definitely a personal hero of mine. And so I think that the way that she has done this uh, is Really, I really appreciate because does she not call herself a feminist? What's her? What's the status of that? Well, she, so as far as I'm aware, she still does, and you know, she runs Feminist Current, and so I think that she could not necessarily ditch that label at this point because it's so tied to her brand. And so, what she's had to do is essentially say, like, yeah, I'm a feminist because I care about women's rights but I'm not like your good feminist. Like, and even for you rad femmes, even for you gender critical, sometimes, you know, she is smashing through all of these expectations and she just refuses to be canceled or, uh, you know, or to cater to anyone's demands, whether they're trans activists, whether they're other rad femmes or gender critical feminists, whether they're other women like in her in group and, I think that that's really cool, actually, the way that she's been able to show that a feminist doesn't have to be exactly what everyone pictures or even what a radical feminist pictures. You know, she, I think, it, 
I think it's cool how she has managed to be the what's the name? She's she's heterodox even for a gender critical feminist, mm-hmm. and I think that that's pretty cool. Um, and I think that yeah, there are women who get pissed at her all the time for her various things for. To right wing men, or for her stance on COVID, or, oh, any, or yeah. some race thing that she said. Wait till they hear my stance on COVID. Oh gosh. Oh boy. <laughs> and I, I mean, people get pissed at her all the time, but she just keeps doing her thing and refuses to say like this makes me any less of a feminist. And you know, her free speech thing has been very interesting. She's been lately really, I think, speaking up on the free speech issue and pointing out how it relates to feminism and why feminists should care. And I guess something that I see there in being powerful is when there is a label that other people have already applied to themselves, like they have already created an in-group, if you then apply that label to the work that you're doing or the argument that you're making, that makes that group of people susceptible to your argument or interested in your work just like by default. It's kind of like a built-in audience. And so Mm -hmm. when Megan Murphy says uh, free speech is a feminist issue, then all of the people who think of themselves as feminists, or maybe in her case, specifically gender critical feminists, will hear that and listen to it, maybe in a way that they wouldn't if someone just said free speech is an important issue or a civil rights issue. So what do you think about that? And do, do you see utility for labels when, like in certain cases, or do you think that it still does more harm than good? I mean, I think that is an ongoing question for me because, you know, at Plebity, we right now have a project going called Reclaiming Populism for the 99%. And it was originally, it was Reclaiming Populism for the Left because precisely of what you're saying, we wanted to appeal to leftists, and but like the traditional leftists who care about the 99% and um, not the current woke leftists or liberals, neoliberals. Um, So yes, I do think there is a utility in that, but I'm currently sort of struggling to find what exactly it is. But by the way, the Populism Project isn't me, it's actually my partners at Plebity, the the team at Plebity. So, but please do check it out. There's some really interesting conversations happening there and some really good articles up right now about the history of populism and why it's become sort of a dirty word. So I think people who are interested in these types of conversations where ideas become uh, heretical might be interested in that one as well. So, you know, yes, I do think there's a value in that. Here's here's something else. I'll bring something else into it. I recently had a chat with Sal Grover, uh, the CEO of the Giggle app. And Sal made a really interesting point about the phrase gender critical. She said, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, I don't remember exactly how she said it. So I'll just say what I took from it, that sometimes even saying that we are a gender critical movement is almost devaluing us in a way because it's saying that our views only exist in opposition to those crazy views. And when in reality, we're just speaking facts. And she made me realize something, which is that when I got fired, I said, my first reaction was I said, I got fired for my feminist views. Now I have to correct myself. That wasn't quite accurate. I actually got fired for stating facts and some opinions too. They weren't, you know, some some of my tweets were opinions, not just facts, but I think that I could have easily said them without being a feminist. And I certainly could have observed and expressed those facts without being a feminist. So I, I actually now am hesitant to put myself in that ideological camp because 
then it's it's actually giving a bit of credence to the people who would oppose me because they would then then they could say like well you're part of this ideology and we don't like it when in reality no i'm just stating facts like that a woman yes. is an adult human female that they them pronouns are bullshit that's a fact sorry not an opinion <laughs> um that men cannot did i say that men cannot become women that trans women are men um that there is no spectrum of yeah. people who can be impregnated you know that's not even a feminist view that shouldn't even be a feminist view that's just a fact and then the gender critical thing i thought was a really good point i i like the phrase i think it signifies what we really do mean by it we are critical of um you know gender identity and gender roles but we um but we're also just we're not like this newfangled ideology we're just you know so many more people are gender gender critical than they know so i did wonder about that i thought sal brought up something really interesting that when we call ourselves gender critical in a way i wonder what you think we put ourselves on the back foot a little bit we kind of then are starting from a defensive position i wonder what you think of that yeah, I actually do agree with that. And the reason that I tend to fall back on using gender critical is because I know that a lot of the people who I am sort of sharing this space with right now on this particular issue are not also feminists or they don't okay. label themselves as feminists. And yeah. because we also have the women who are by all definitions feminists, but then choose not to label themselves as such for these like in-group identity reasons that like you Posey, et cetera, who, you know, are really coming at it from the women's rights angle, or at least were at some point. And, but then there's also, yes, just conservatives, like conservatives are like it or not, at least in the United States, a huge chunk of the actual number of people who are critical of gender identity, not necessarily all of gender ideology, but gender yeah. identity. And so I think, you know, in the Wolf Media Style Guide, which I helped put together, we actually kind of had two different definitions for gender critical because one was how it's colloquially termed or defined, which is, uh, just off the top of my head, it was something along the lines of being critical of gender identity. And then the, I think, more strict definition is being critical of gender as a concept. And this is the more radical feminist approach is mm -hmm. we're critical of gender roles, like you said, of all aspects of gender. And we see gender identity as just one more aspect of that. And so I think that we, one benefit to labels is it does give us a way to clearly and quickly talk about a group of people. Um, but maybe it's better to just, you know, I've started doing this with uh, different trans groups is rather than trying to use the label, you know, saying trans women, I now say men who identify as women. It's a lot cleaner, even though it's a little bit longer, people tend to understand it better. Right. It's actually much more accessible language to people, no matter what side of the argument they're on or how exposed they are to these concepts. Because a lot of people forget, a lot of normal people out there in the real world have no idea what a trans woman is. I just saw Thank the God. other day someone's, yeah, yeah. I just saw the other day someone saying trans woman to try to politely refer to a female who identified as male. Exactly don't know any better and so yes i do find it's best to just use the actual descriptive terms and so maybe the descriptive group for all of us collectively like the people who are on this journey with me to oppose gender identity is people who oppose gender identity like mm -hmm. maybe it's as simple as that and then that sort of does away with the need for the label uh, that being said i see 
feminism as, a, at least for me, I think you're right. As far as when something is just like a basic material biological fact that doesn't need to be labeled as feminism. But I do think that if you're actually applying an analysis of, uh, you know, the dynamics between these two groups of people, men and women, and the power relationships, and you're like using this analysis of what these power, I'm trying to describe feminism without using the word feminism. <laughs> but essentially, if you're actually taking a feminist analysis and looking at the issue through that lens, then I think it is appropriate to call it what it is. And, you know, so for example, when I was fired, what I was fired for was absolutely feminism because I was fired for a blog post that used a feminist analysis to criticize non-binary. And so it was definitely being fired for feminism. Um, and so I and think actually, you know what, maybe I was too, because I did have in my bio, it said radical feminism, as in that's what I was tweeting about. Okay. Well, so maybe it was, yeah. Well, but if you said the same thing without that in your bio, you probably still would have been fired. Right. That's true. So, we don't know exactly, I don't know. but I think, yeah, I think it was just, it. I think you're right. I think I would have been fired if I've had a label on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we do know, I think that, uh, conservatives do get fired for talking about these things more from the biological sex side. So Kaylee Triller, who was fired back in something like 2014, I think, mm -hmm. from the YMCA for being critical of having mixed sex changing rooms, locker rooms. And, mm -hmm. you know, she was criticizing it not from, from what I understand of her politics, a feminist analysis, but from a biological reality analysis, but also through a, a lens that I actually can't see a lot of a lot of feminism in was from her experience as a survivor of sexual violence and just the reality of the fact that male violence exists and that she as a survivor would not be comfortable in these changing rooms and uh, she was an employee of the YMCA at the time and she was fired for that and uh, but she I think would not I could be wrong, sorry Kaylee if I'm wrong, but I think that uh, she tends to be more conservative and would not call herself a feminist. Um, and yet, so like all three of us are kind of broadly criticizing the same, at least the same uh, ideology and coming at it from, you know, we have a very, very leftist woman, we have a explicitly feminist woman and we have a conservative woman talking about the impact on women. And yet all of us are still Gonzo, because like you, I shouldn't say Gonzo. Yeah. <laughs> Dunzo. What? Yeah, Dunzo. That's what I was saying. I was. I could find. I knew what you meant. I was like, wait, that word sounds different. Gail Dines is popping into my brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, oh. no, I know. Um, Dunzo. Let me just say it again. But but well, wait, am I the super leftist woman? Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm not. That? Or is that no. too much of a label? I don't want that label anymore. I'm embarrassed by these leftists. I don't want to be. Okay, concerned. okay, okay. I I so, would say I'm independent. Were you at I the mean, time though? Okay, I told no. I was totally a leftist at the yeah, time. Yeah, right. At and, the time, you were saying I'm yes. left of liberal. Oh, totally. And also, yeah. I don't think my political views have changed. So, See? if they're left, then they're left. But I do not want well, to be on that be spectrum. You know, as in terms of my political views, what do I actually believe? I believe in healthcare for all. I believe that I actually believe in the UBI. I think everyone should get the universal basic income. I think that puts me pretty far left in the economic field. I don't know. People are trying to call Andrew Yang right wing. 
Oh God. Okay. You know what? That's why I'm just like that. That's the other thing. People are always going to call you whatever labels they want. They're always going to try to put you in their camp or in somebody else's camp. So I'm just like, who cares? I don't want to do, I don't want to have any of that. Super true. And see, I agree with you on both of those things. And Mm -hmm. I'm honestly like, you know, we've talked, I think a few times on this show about differences between us and like things that we agree Mm -hmm. on versus don't agree on. But at the end of the day, I feel like every time we actually talk policy, politics, like, yeah. And it's interesting because people on one hand, they might, you know, just assume that we're very similar because we've had very similar experiences along the way as we do the show together and we're friends, but in a lot, you know, as far as how we label ourselves and like brand ourselves to the world, like I've really leaned into the feminist brand and you, as you talked about, are like starting to back away from it. And so people might think that we have really different ideas on these things, but I think that this just goes to show that you can have very similar ideas and call yourself something completely different, which again goes to show how maybe these labels are arbitrary and it's more about like signaling to in groups and out groups and yes good point as well and there's things i've learned from you that have informed my critiques of feminism not because you say things that are anti-feminist but because you've explained very well why we should have the locus of control in ourselves and not in something outer and i i see that one this is one of my critiques of the feminist ideology is that the locus of control is always on patriarchy now do are we subject to the vicissitudes of fate and external forces yes 100 percent. we don't have total freedom over our lives but don't have total control or freedom in our lives. But at the same time, we do have a choice in how we respond to that and how we put up boundaries and how we um, relate to other people and how we view other people and that we can choose to lump everyone in together as an oppressed, as everyone who's a woman is oppressed, everyone who's a man is an oppressor. And I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't see the world that way. This is another effect of my being canceled is that I realized that was a simplistic way of seeing the world and that it mirrored the way the woke identitarians see the world. They reduce you down to your membership in a group that they then deem oppressed or not oppressed. And then that carries all this other baggage about your value and the worth of your voice. So that just that was completely shattered for me. I was like, I can no longer see it like all men are the oppressors and all women are the oppressed. That just became too simplistic for me. And especially because I started looking at class a bit more and talking to people about that. And I heard these really compelling and convincing arguments about how, you know, a lot of feminism fits with identity politics in the sense that it doesn't often here's what the type of feminism I do like does. It talks about women who are being the the most downtrodden women. And that's that's what 4W, I, I really see on 4W a lot. But a lot of this other feminism, it's talking about the glass ceiling. It's talking about Hillary Clinton. It's talking about girl boss. That's just capitalism. That's yeah. just social that's control. Feminism. Yep. Liberal. So I know that a lot of my critiques are toward liberal feminism, but I do think that radical feminism has some of these elements, too. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's all capitalism and that is not good for the down for the most downtrodden women of the world. So it's and it's a way of 
being able to ignore their concerns because, and here, here's something, here's something like in Oakland, there was recently this policy and I should really get the specifics, but I'll link it below. There was a policy where they were giving some checks during COVID to poor families, but only to black families, not to white families. Now think of the amount of racial tension that that's going to add into communities. It's the actual government was doing that or some social group. No, this was a city program, I believe. Oakland will give low income families of color $500 per month, no strings attached. This was in March, 2021. So this is from CNN. Low income families of color in Oakland, California could receive some extra financial assistance over the next year and a half. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff announced this week that the city will launch a guaranteed income project to give hundreds of Black and Indigenous families and people of color $500 per month for 18 months. The project's payments will be unconditional and recipients may spend the money however they choose. That's not going to hold up. The project targets groups with the city's greatest wealth disparities per the Oakland Equality Index which reveals the median income for white households in Oakland to be nearly three times that of black households. Median, that doesn't mean the individuals, right? Well, and I the believe that on average, white oh, households yeah. have more wealth than, that's yeah. not the question. The question is what about like the actual low income families that are not of color? However they define that, by the way, is it yeah. self-identified or do you have to prove how many drops of unwhite blood you have it's in order to point. be deemed impure enough to get their checks like yes. th this is insane and probably unconstitutional i hope they find it to be unconstitutional we need to get mk on it um <laughs> i have to be brutally honest there are feminists who would do this but with women and men they would want th this type of policy and well, you I don't have, have to name names. names. But no, I, the, 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 the women who are separatists might want this. The women who are... Might, I mean, or have you actually seen this as a proposal? Because I can't say that I have literally seen like a, a UBI but for women pro like proposal in any sincerity from feminists. Objection sustained. But okay. the ideology... <laughs> but the ideology would go towards that. Because if you are actually saying that because of being a female, you are automatically disadvantaged to males because they are male at all in at all levels of society, no matter how rich you are, um, it would it could logically lead to a policy like this. And just in the same way that this policy, I would just use it as a hypothetical. You know, I won't I won't accuse anyone of saying anything, um, but. Just how, just like how this policy will make, will increase the divide between black and white poor families. I think that some of the feminist rhetoric would increase the divide between lower class white um, women and men, because they actually have a lot more of the same interests. Whereas mm. the upper class women have this interest in shattering the glass ceiling and they have all their basic needs met. They have nannies for their children. And um, although I will say we, we do know from research that domestic violence is pretty equally uh, divided across 
various income levels. And so it's not like a rich woman is actually at any lower risk of male violence or specifically domestic violence than a poor woman. Although a poor woman is likely to have other contributing factors. So she may be more likely to experience male violence in like other realms. She has more or she has fewer options available to her to get out of situations that are potentially violent. But I, I mean, what would you say to that? I mean, a woman walking down the street, whether rich or poor, is still, you know, can still be assaulted or a woman in her home can still be abused. And that doesn't really change, although there are increased risk factors, the yeah. fewer options you have available to you. Yes. And I completely am um, focused on the differences between men and women and that and how important they are and how women have a vulnerability as a group to men as a group. And men are more violent than women, way, way, way more violent than women. Yes. And we have Regardless to pay attention of class. to that. Yeah. That's something that we should absolutely focus on. And that's a big um, part of critiquing trans ideology. They want to erase those differences. And we cannot do that. We should not do that. We need mm -hmm. special protections for women. But, you know, so in, in your example, the, the poor woman is the one who needs policies that are that are for women in the sense that she'll be the one in the rape shelter that's getting invaded by trans women. You know, she's more likely to be incarcerated and now have trans women um, in prison. And she's more likely to need these services that are being taken away. But I don't know why I'm now going off on a rant against um, trans ideology again. But I see your point. I definitely think that's true. All women have something in common. You know, and this is something that we, we always say to the trans activists. The one thing that women all have in common, the one thing is being female. That's it. We all have different experiences. Yes, because they like to say that, oh, is there one defining feature being a woman? We all have different experiences. We all have different experiences. Yeah. And the one thing we have in common is being female. And that matters. That really yeah. does matter. And we have to make policies with that in mind. And we can't, we should not erase sex as a protected characteristic in law. That's extremely dangerous, in my opinion. Um, but I just think that at the same time, what we need is to improve relations between men and women. And there are many feminists who want to do that. But then there are some feminists who just want to end them or exacerbate them in some ways. I think that we should really work to improve them. And this is also going to be unpopular to say, but like there are, but it's actually maybe not a lot of people say it, a lot of feminists say it. There are so many women who promote gender identity ideology. There's so many women who join these witch hunts against us. And there are so many men who are on our side and who are standing up for us and who are saying, this is sexist. And when I got canceled, it was the first time in my life. So many men stood up for me against sexism. That was really powerful for me. That really showed me that it wasn't fair of me to lump all men in together. And it was and it's not fair to lump all women in together either. That's a good point actually. When I got fired too, I don't I, I'm trying to think because I don't want to exclude anyone, but I it was mo I'll say it was mostly men who were either publicly or like privately behind the scenes to the people in power standing up. For me there were many women who showed me support behind the scenes but as far as yes publicly actually doing anything that risked themselves to any significant degree it was men who were doing that and part of me sees that as like what's the bare fucking minimum <laughs> like 
<laughs> I mean, like, what else have you people ever done for women? Um, and men are, I think, less. I think men are held to less of a purity standard on some of these like liberal issues. And so I think that men yeah. actually can say a little bit more and get away with it, depending on the culture of like I your workplace or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's there's some research about the uh, standards that men and women are held to ethically in the workplace. Like when uh, maybe I'll see if I can find this and link it below. But when a woman does a particular uh, like crosses a boundary in a workplace, how she is perceived versus how men are perceived when they do the same things. And then likewise in sentencing for women who commit crimes versus men who commit crimes. Now, uh, you know, you might think that men actually get it worse in the justice system because of how we do rightfully perceive men as more violent and more criminal. Uh, women actually, because there's the expectation that women will not be violent and criminal when they are to a degree that a man is, they are actually held to higher standards and are likely to be sentenced to more years or have harsher penalties. Mm -hmm. And so we do see women held to these higher ethical standards because women are expected to not be the ones doing that. And in some cases, rightfully so, because just statistically, we don't do a lot of these things and women are, uh, you know, socialized to appease others. And so I think that yeah. kind of, goes in with a lot of the uh, behaviors in the workplace. It's a lot around like social appeasement and pleasing others and doing what you're supposed to. And I forget what the actual point was. Can I jump in? Because that makes me think of another point that I wanted to talk about. So yeah. um, now that I'm, that I'm not a feminist, I'm definitely not saying sexism doesn't exist. It does and I've experienced it. And I've been in workplaces where I've been sexually harassed even by the employer. And um, you just mentioned how social uh, conditioning makes women be more um, malleable or you said, I think that they were more, we, we try to appease, we strive to appease. That's absolutely true. It sucks. It's stupid. But I sometimes don't think that feminism successfully counters that. And I'll explain why. Mm -hmm. Because the way that feminism, and I think this is true of both liberal and radical feminism, it blames the entire, every single element of, um, let's let's talk about sexual harassment on the man. That's not wrong because he is responsible. He is wholly responsible. However, if the woman has no role in what happens to her whatsoever, then how can she prevent it from happening again? And I have seen so many times when women stand up for themselves they can protect themselves. It does work. It's so disempowering to tell women, you have no control over how men treat you. They're just going to run all over you, walk all over you, no matter what you do, because that's patriarchy. You have no control over it because you're not to blame. Because if we put any of the responsibility on you to navigate these situations, then that's victim blaming. I think that hurts women. I've I, I had a job where I told one of the other women, like, you know, you don't have to let them touch you, right? About our coworkers, it was in a restaurant. And that's what we need to tell women. Like, it's actually empowering to take responsibility for what happened to you. I'm not talking about 
something that happened like violent sexual assault or something that you did not have control over. I'm talking about situa social situations where you do have a choice if you're gonna stand up for yourself or not. And both of us, MK, have stood up for ourselves and then faced extreme consequences. So we know that, I, I know that you can face consequences, but you still have a choice. You have a choice whether you're gonna face those consequences. And if we just give in to this idea that we have no control whatsoever over how we're treated, then that's giving up our power. I agree with what you're saying. I disagree with saying that radical feminism does not uh, you know take this into account i okay. think that li liberal feminism yes and no it's like very wishy-washy on it it you know we see things like um like self-defense training for women and stuff like that and those things are on one hand considered good and empowering but then they're also likely to be critiqued by other liberal feminists as being uh, like victim blaming and stuff and i think that that's silly i see no reason why women should not uh, arm themselves or physically prepare themselves against male violence. Uh, but I do think that radical feminism does not just put the onus on a single individual. I think radical feminism is about looking at the entire system, the whole patriarchy that created this little moment in time when this happened. And that includes looking at the uh, societal factors that shaped the man to go forth and do that violence and includes the societal factors that condition the woman to allow it to happen. To, to any degree. And I think that it's, it actually does seem a little uh, incongruent to both criticize separatists and then to say, like, well, you have the power to stop this male violence. Like, you can say no. Not to stop I male violence, that, but to stop. Okay, again, to prevent yourself from, from being, being in these situations. Yeah, yeah but, I'm, not, but I'm definitely that, not talking about violence. I'm, I'm thinking of sexual harassment. That's not violent well i think it, it's hard to draw a line sometimes or like a clear line sometimes yeah. there's you know these things okay let me happen. give you an example of something that i oh, that i saw I, yeah I finish your point yeah. First. yeah sorry yeah. so i think that a lot of separatists what they are essentially doing is saying i have the power to not have this in my life by cutting men out and i think yes you can have uh, you can empower women to, in individual moments, try to overrun their conditioning and or override their conditioning with some sort of, you know, forcefulness, like being able to stand up for yourself, being able to defend yourself, et cetera. But I think that separatism is essentially saying, like, you don't have to be a part of this at all. You can just, like, step but away how do you and not opt be out? in these You situations. have to get a job. You have to go to work. You have to take the yeah, train. people work for no, you don't. <laughs> the vast majority of women do not have a choice in interacting yes. with men. So I agree with that, but definitely there are ways to do it. And I mean, the most obvious thing is just not having a male partner in your life, especially that you live with. And that is something that. Well, so yes, what are heterosexual women to do? To There's no. So, so is it all or and nothing? It's, it's no men or no boundaries. What about having so, boundaries with men? I'm not saying that you have to do this to be a feminist. What I'm saying is that 
there are radical feminist analysis analyses. Uh, there, there's ways that, that radical feminism does try to offer like women, you can take power in your life. And I think that separatism is just one example of how women who have that option, yes, are able to take some power and control in their life. And I think that there are many ways, just uh, that's just one example that women are encouraged through radical feminism to take power back. And I think that it, I do also. So what about women who like don't want victim? that? What about women who don't, who don't want to be separatists? No, who don't want to be separatists. They want to be around men, but they don't want to be harassed. Well, that's me. I mean, I'm not a separatist. I live with a man. Like, spoiler, mm. everyone. Um, <laughs> and, and this is actually part of why I sometimes, to go back to the labels, do struggle with calling myself a radical feminist because I see these things on a bigger picture level. And I tend to agree with them for the most part. Like I agree women are safer when they choose not to live with a man. I think that if you are choosing whether or not to be in a relationship with a man or to move in with him or to like bring your relationships to the next level, it is a safer and a feminist decision to choose not to for your own well-being. And you know, we, we see the research. But do you on think how... you're but do you think that advice blocks women's happiness? So I don't know. I think it depends. I think for the most part, no, because research shows that women, at least married women, I don't know if this is true for women in long-term relationships that aren't married. There isn't a lot of research on that from what I've seen, but we do have a lot of research on the happiness levels of married women versus married men. And what we tend to see is that married women are significantly less happy than their husband. And that when the husband dies, the woman's happiness levels increase. And so I think on average, now this is not to talk about an individual, on average, no, I don't think that advice blocks women's happiness. I think it's much more likely to increase women's happiness. That being said, I am fully hypocritical in this because I not only am in a long-term committed relationship with a man, I live with him and cancel me for this, but I am considering getting married. And, and, like, and you're happy, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite happy. And I mean, that's partially because I have you know, everyone's going to be like, oh, you're Nigel, whatever. But I mean, what does that mean? This, <laughs> this is a, something that the British feminists say that it's kind of spread to the gender critical online circles. But it's like not my Nigel. It's like saying my man is different. And it's kind of um, said in like a make fun way of like, oh, yeah, sure. Your man is so different from every other man. He would never. It's one of those. Yeah. And I'll be uh, honest that I don't like that because it is so group, um, you're, you're so strongly identifying people with their group. And, right. you know, I know I sound like not all men, but that is what I'm saying. I am saying that because I think it's very dangerous, no matter who you are, no matter what standpoint you have, to start saying that everyone in a group is bad. And um, that's what we see from the critical race theory people. And that I, I, I don't want to see that coming out of feminism. Well, although what I do think, though, is that I'm not going to say about all men or not, but I think that most people, and if there are exceptions, they are so marginal to like, maybe there's some sort of other like mental thing happening there, like a, some sort of disorder or uh, disability. But I think most people, if put through a certain set of circumstances, can be violent. When put through a certain set of life circumstances, like a, B, C, D, if all of this stuff happens in your life, I don't think 
that there are really these sort of groups of men who are so inherently different that they wouldn't. And I think the same is true for women. I think that mm. the bar might be higher, like the step, it might take more things to happen in your life to get you to the point where you do become physically violent. But I do kind of um, prescribe a lot, I think, to the, I guess, nurture argument. I think at least I think it's a big enough factor that if any person was put through a specific ringer, like they wouldn't be the good guy that we see today. And so there's I don't I guess what I struggle with is I don't see a dichotomy between good men and bad men. I think that actually puts women oh, at risk okay. because your good man might be good right now, but what happens when he loses his job, his dog dies, he uh, his best friend gets in a fight with him and then, and he's hungry at the exact moment that the TV breaks and like what, and I mean, these are like, you know, just, day-to-day day day things, but what number of things need to happen before he snaps? And I think that when you recognize that, and, and this is something that I do in my life, is, and you know, Alex, he can hear me, like he's not gonna be offended by this because he knows, but in my life, I prepare, even though I do not believe that he is going to hurt me based on our current life circumstances, I build my life around always being able to protect myself in various ways. And so, for example, like I always make sure I have enough cash in my safe that he doesn't know the code to that I can take a plane ticket home if I needed to. And so like the and I'm lucky that I am able to do that. But, you know, I think that there are things that when you have in mind that you're it's not always safe in like there are certain circumstances where things could change, then that can give you safety because now you're prepared. And it's a little bit like being, I think, a disaster prepper. Mm. Like when we lived through the uh, storm back in February here in Texas, after that I learned like, oh shit, like this can happen to anyone. And you betcha now I have gallons of water stored in my closet and we bought some gasoline stoves so that we can boil water if we need to. And we bought battery operated lights and like things like this. And so I think that if women who do want to be around men in their lives, cause they think it does increase their happiness, like me, I think that if you kind of treat it like being a prepper, like how can I prepare myself to make sure that if lightning strikes, I'm still okay. Then I think that that's still feminist, you know, like because you're looking at it through this analysis of like male violence, like I am disadvantaged. If he got like some sort of brain zombie worm that like hijacked him and he went like Hulk mode or something where like he wasn't himself anymore, but like just physically wanted to come after like rabies or something. Like if he got rabies, like, I don't know if I could fight him off. And so like, I am prepared to pack up and leave and go home. And I think that if you treat it that way, then you can kind of have this analysis without needing to like pretend that there isn't a risk. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was like um, really long. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You know, in, in terms of the like protecting oneself. This is this is the example that I wanted to run by you and just discuss as a case study. Mm -hmm. So okay. when the, um, at my college, there was this incident that happened. It was that I went to the City University of New York, which is a university system that has many colleges within it. And one of them, John Jay College, there was this scandal that happened while I was there where these two um, female grad students were 
basically abused and harassed by these professors. And what happened was they were partying with the professors and being sort of exploited sexually. And the professors would apparently even offer them up to other professors. Oh. It was really disgusting. It was, I think the professors got fired as they should. They're, they are, that's sick behavior. That's despicable. There is yeah. no, you know, nothing that would excuse what they did. But how can we not be the women? How can we actually protect ourselves knowing that there are men like that? And why did it happen to them? I mean, I think that it's yeah. our responsibility to look at this. And, and I, it's not their fault that it happened. The, it's not the women's fault that it happened because the men probably would have done it to someone else. But being self-interested individuals who want to protect ourselves, I think we have a duty to actually say, how can I not make myself in that situation? You know, like they were vulnerable, but they put themselves into this. They were both from vulnerable backgrounds. One of them apparently was a victim of sex trafficking where she was from in Eastern Europe. The other one was from a Hasidic community in New York where women are treated like property. Mm -hmm. And if you want to escape, which, and I use the word escape because that's been used by women who have left, including I have a, a friend who, who says she had to escape the cult. That's how she describes it. She had to escape the cult. It's very difficult to leave, um, especially if you're a married woman and which is what my friend's case was. So, they were both vulnerable. They both had these backgrounds that led them to have a higher propensity to be exploited again. But it wasn't like um, you or I are walking down the street and a coconut falls on our head. You know what I mean? Like they made yes. choices that put them into a bad situation. And again, it wasn't their fault because the professors probably would have done it to whoever vulnerable women did come along. But how can we actually have a conversation where we give women enough agency and respect to say that we choose which situations we put ourselves in? And I wanna, and I'm, it's really hard to have this conversation because again, I feel nothing but sympathy for those women, nothing but disgust for those professors, but I don't want to just cede all power. As women, I don't want us to just say we'd have no control because it's just purely on the men. We have no control over what happens to us. That I I find that deeply unsatisfying. Yeah, you know, I I obviously can't talk to what those women could have done differently, but I can say in my own life, I was in a cycle of male violence for most of my youth starting you know, age 15, up until, I will say, I started reading radical feminist literature. When I started reading Andrea Dworkin, when I started under, I was a liberal feminist, I think. I I, I would literally fight with the man who wasn't abusing me about 
feminist labels and he would uh say oh i'm not a feminist i'm an equalist i believe in equality for all feminine wa feminism wants to put women above men and i would be like no it doesn't and like like we would fight about this and so i was a liberal feminist at the time but i didn't really have an understanding of how what i was in which was hard for me to define at the time because he wasn't like punching me and although he was sexually abusing and exploiting me it wasn't for a long time it wasn't clearly rape and so like i didn't have these words to understand what i was in and when i started reading radical feminist literature it helped me actually see not just uh, like give me the words to describe the situation that I was in, but it helped me place it in this broader context. I suddenly drew the line between the relationship I was in and the relationship my mother had been in and the re relationship that her mother had been in with her biological father and how all of these things sort of like are a pattern over time. And I saw my my friends who had been in similar situations and I started to, you know, that the meme where you're like, like where Charlie from <laughs> Always Sunny is like going crazy, like yeah. with the conspiracy theories. Yeah. yeah. So I started to be like that and like putting these pieces Making together. Making connections. Yes. And once I saw the patterns, especially as applied to other people, like from, you know, these stories I was reading and then applying it to my mom's life and my friend's life, and I saw it in my own life. And that was when I started to break the pattern. And yeah. so from, I can't speak for anyone else or for any other woman, but for me, definitely seeing these patterns was very empowering in helping me get away and helping me get out of these really toxic patterns that I was in. So I think that feminism when done right isn't just applying a helpless label to women, although I do think that there are certain aspects in like feminist communities online. And uh, I think there are specific women in particular who sort of push this like helpless woman label. But I think that when done right, feminism and especially radical feminism can help you not get into those patterns in the first place because you see the red flags right away, but also to help you ex escape them when you are in them. So again, it's just my own experience. I can't speak to any other particular woman who's been victimized, but I would hope that for them starting to see the big picture was uh, healing in a way because you start I think when when you do see everything as like this is my life it's very individualistic like you don't see these bigger yeah, systems that have sort of brought you here mm -hmm. yeah you like I felt a lot of shame for a really long time mm -hmm. about why I was in that abusive relationship for so long and I and that's part of I think why I stayed in it because I didn't really like understand like it, I felt like my situation was different. And mm -hmm. then I felt like, uh, it's like not the same. It's like, we have a special thing, like our situation is yeah. unique. No one would understand. It's not like anything else. And then I also felt shame later on for like, why did I stay in this? And I think that, yeah, feminism when done right, I think is the empowerment that can help women break these patterns. And I think we saw that in the second wave of women, you know, really starting 
to uh, consciousness raise and realize the systems that they were in and start to try to break free. And I think that, uh, you know, if we want to sort of zoom this out, you can also apply this to like class consciousness is essentially sort of a similar thing is we're all like in the grind, you know, and then once you start to get class consciousness, you're able to like zoom out and see it. And once you see yeah. it, that's when you can start to like actually fight back. That's when you can start to be a wrench in the machine. And mm -hmm. I think that seeing the patterns is important to disrupting them. Yeah, I agree with your point about this atomization. You know, we're not, we don't, and that's why I hesitated to say, well, I have no labels because I can't claim that I'm a completely independent individual person. We all are part of these interconnected yeah. systems. And so I do think there is something very important about realizing that your experiences are not down to you individually. They are part of the larger world that we all have to contend with. And um, that might be a good place for us to start to wrap up. So moral of the story, let's all get red-pilled. Let's all get red-pilled. Yeah. Let's red-pill I mean, it up. I guess, like, in conclusion, I feel like where I ultimately fall on it is I have found a path that makes me happy, that helps me navigate a really fucked up world with a person I'm happy with currently. And like that helps me understand and get through. And I think that if having a label helps you do that, then great. But I think if having no label on like a particular issue or if like choosing to forgo labels entirely helps you live a life where you're happy, where you can navigate a fucked up world and not go insane, then that's good. Like, I think that it's ultimately about doing what's going to help you live your best, most productive, most ethical, most like uh, just best life for you mm -hmm. and for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, MK, yesterday I did an interview with someone named David Bernstein and it's coming out in a few weeks. I'll, I'll post it. But he asked me, um, what do you think young people need to do in regards to being in an environment with all this group think and you have to think these things, you have to think trans women are women, you have to support the BLM movement, all this stuff. And I, and I talked about identity crisis and I talked about you and I said how we've disagreed on things and that's made us trust each other more because we know we won't cancel each other and it's yeah. strengthened our friendship. And the other thing I said about the thing I said about what young people should do, I said, well, honestly, they should like be a little bit brave. They should get some chutzpah because um, we, you need to speak your mind. And like right now we're both speaking our mind. We both might change our mind in the future. We both have changed our mind on things in the past, but this is what, this is what you have to do. You have to hash out the ideas. Just talk about stuff. Just speak your mind. Yeah. Even if you're going to get it wrong, like I may have gotten some things wrong. I, I mean, I'm never wrong, but like, you know, I may have gotten some things wrong and that's okay because the risk of speaking is that you might get things wrong. You might offend people and we're okay with that. You have to be okay with that. So that's, that's what I would end on. I agree. And, you know, I hope that the identity crisis community here will agree with you on that and be supportive of having a dialogue that ultimately is about just 
being the best person and contributing to the world and living a happy life in a way that works for you and not getting sucked into things, you know, that just drag you along. And so I hope that people will get that and be interested in having this discussion along with us. I'm really curious, you know, if you have a label, why do you choose it? Why do you feel it works for you? If you have shunned labels, why do you feel like that works for you? Do you see the other side of it? Like, do you get what it's like to, you know, why there's a reason to have a label? Do you get why people ditch the labels? And, you know, how can we ultimately just all see that when, when we're working towards the same goal? I think, you know, that's maybe part of it is I think people mm. want the labels so that they can find who their people are that they're working towards the same goal with. But I like to think that if you're here on identity crisis, we're working towards the same goal. If you want to support Identity Crisis, you can join Plebity on Patreon. All patrons get early access to our shows. You get not only Identity Crisis a whole day early, but you also get access to all their other awesome interviews and stuff that they do a whole 24 hours before everyone else. So definitely consider joining the Plebity Patreon. And you also will be supporting the Plebity Free Speech Fund, which is a just really powerful way to support people who have faced material consequences for their free speech, like being fired, like Sasha and I were. So please consider joining on Patreon to support this channel and the, the free content that we offer. And if you like this video, don't forget to press like, share, and subscribe to our channel. We have new videos every Monday here on YouTube, on plebity.org, and on 4w.pub, along with MK's corresponding columns, which take a deep dive into the weekly topic. So if you want one of these amazing 4W mugs, you can get these over at the 4W shop, which will be linked below. They have these really cute mugs. You can get pink or blue or black. You can like show what gender you are, because I want everyone to know that I am a, um, a blue I want to say AMAB, because <laughs> only AMABs get blue. And they also have stickers. This one says hashtag canceled. T-shirts, hashtag canceled feminist. You can wear it no matter if you're a feminist or not because you're already canceled. It doesn't matter. You can also get these really cute identity crisis stickers, which I absolutely love. I have a few of them. I'm going to putting them on my laptop, on other things. And it's a little bit of an incognito way to show that you are gender critical. If you don't want people to know that you're a full on turf, but you kind of want to show your pride, you can get these stickers. So head on over to the shop and take a look around. There's a lot of other stuff there too. We have new shows every Monday, so we will see you right back in this feed next Monday. Be sure to check it out.